Welcome to the show. You can watch and subscribe to the Project FIA TV show on YouTube. Drop comments and questions to us on the podcast via Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Project FIA Goes PC. Well, hello there. We are back. It's been longer than two weeks. I'm the first to admit it. But we are back. And thanks for staying with us. That's a big thing. Uh, yeah, we, we've had a bit of a rough time trying to get Wim back to Asia. They say they don't want to back. Uh, I keep making plea accounts, uh, you know, writing uh, all of these references and stuff like this to uh, good things she's done. And so we've been, we kind of had issues because like every time we've tried to sit down recording this, there's been like changes in flights out there and hotels you have to book for quarantine. A lot of people here in Europe and, and the US won't really understand this, but the, the borders have been totally locked down. And so you have these slight times where there's these little changes to try and drill yourself back through the wall, so to speak. It's crazy. It's really crazy what's going on out there. If you're actually from Hong Kong, you'll know all about it. Uh, you've got relatives you haven't seen for three years. Uh, that ship batty, almost like a hostage situation. They're, they're tied down to some quarantine somewhere else and they have to get back with big beards and snakes for friends. So we're going through that. And obviously we all know that our producer Winifred's got a massive beard and she has nothing but snakes for friends. Anyway, as I said, this is episode 117-117 of FI Ghost PC. And as always, I'm your host, Rebel Zen, aka Danny Hale. And uh I'll introduce our bearded producer, Winifred. Say hello. Hello. What's it feel like to have snakes for friends <laughs> and live in a cave um, at the end of a forest? You've moved out of the treehouse and you live in a cave now. Yeah, because uh, I'm trying to be a prophet. That's what prophets do, right? Well, there's a difference. You're trying to make profit. It doesn't mean that you are a prophet, you see? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I always thought Wall Street should change the name to The Prophecy, you know? Why? It's nothing but profit out there, is it? Mm. Is it? Is it? Is it in the old? Is wall there street? a wall on Wall Street? There's loads of walls. Mm. Yeah, you wouldn't have a street if there was no walls to support <laughs> the street feeling of the street. Mm. Yeah, no, it's just a street of walls. A street. Yeah, of different walls. heights. Some low, some high. You okay. know. Yeah, it's like a the worst museum in the world. Going to Wall Street, you see a street <laughs> of walls, not even connected to houses or anything, just a. And for some reason, they're uh, in amongst the walls with like little typewriters, you know, and they're kind of their phones always on being told numbers and stuff like this. They're just typing numbers. All that. I don't really know what they do. They ring a bell. Yeah. That's what they do. Is that the ball ring <laughs> of America? What's that called? Y yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> ball pit. I don't they're know. They're all playing in a ball pit. <laughs> all the bells. economists are laughing at it's us a, now. <laughs> yeah. You can you can I have next to no knowledge. I don't even know about currency. What what are you talking about? But uh I know that it's electrical. Mm. Yeah. Currency. Current no th no that's currents. No, they they're dried grapes. Yeah, if you raise them well. Red currants, black currants. Any old current. And you get that in the sea a lot when people throw uh, grapes in the sea because of salt water, it just dries all the grapes out and there's nothing but current in the sea. You see, <laughs> <laughs> pulls you in, is what it does. Uh, you expect that it's something magical, but it's just undercurrents. Fruit. 
yeah, are pretty yeah. dangerous. And the currents, well, they're the ones that sink because they get bloated. They get rehydrated, you see, <laughs> and they fall to this the, the ground <laughs> surface, which is all sand. Uh, this is a really strange world we're building. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, I always thought it was really, you know, there's a lot of pomp and circumstances with really mundane things in this world. Like, for example, opening a building. You have the red cord and you cut the ribbon sort of a deal yeah. with uh, these huge massive scissors and it's meant to be awesome. You're meant to have a really good time Opening ceremony. Or you get to Christmas and everyone's turning the lights on. Which, yeah. you know, the Let's stuff is really so mundane. we can all watch the lights turn on because yeah. I flick a switch. And on Wall Street, they, they ring the bell, you know. And there's people who entire lives, like, like it doesn't matter what they do, in, they could be run down, they could have given so much money to charities, they could have been, you know, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, but their whole victory is to ring the bell or turn the lights on or cut a ribbon. And frankly speaking, can't you just do that every day of your life? You I go into a room and turn a light on. There's no pump and circuit. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if every time I turn a light on, there's a crowd there and everyone's like, whoa, and all the press is, you know. I mean, that's when you know you're a celebrity, when everything you do has that kind of... Wait. Yeah, you get down in the morning, switch a light on, and everyone's like going nuts and it's in the papers that day, you know. Uh, you go to school that day as a dinner lady because that's what you do. You're an ultra celebrity dinner lady. You have to ring a bell to get all the kids there, and everyone's going mad because you rang the bell. You know, it's like, oh, and every time you go home that night, there's a red ribbon that's locking you out of your house, so you have to use scissors to get back in. You <laughs> don't have any security system. Have you noticed? There's no keypad or you know, uh, optical sort of link into your house or anything like this. It's just a ribbon. Uh, some places in America wonder why they have so many problems with ho- house thefts <laughs> and violence. It's probably because your security system's a ribbon. That everyone can cut with scissors. It doesn't even go around the whole house. It's just at kind of the opening gate, you know. What what a crazy world that would be if if all of the home security systems in the world is just a ribbon. You know, that's don't just, don't tread on this ribbon unless you got scissors. That's silly. So burglaries would have to take part, and your first action would be to cut the ribbon. That reminds me of um, you know. During Christmas, sometimes people put like decorations around their door and stuff. There's this one decoration where it's like, it's like a cross, a ribbon that's crossed over the door. So it looks like the door is a present. Have you seen those? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I, I usually go around with scissors and cut them down because <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm a celebrity as everyone knows. Uh, so yeah. I'm I'm mostly a voice celebrity, so I when I do my guest appearances these days, I have to dress in. I'm basically dressed like a, a phone booth. You're or, dressed as a phone. Yeah, booth? I'm trying to trying to be relevant and slip into modern society <laughs> as a phone booth uh, or a post box. Nobody two of these things phone that booth. don't really exist anymore in uh, the world, but they do here. We have a few. Um, so I dress in incognito uniforms and just go to these places with scissors. Make sure I've got a little armhole. Alarm because hole? An armhole. An armhole. An armhole. Not an alarm hole. Why would you have one of them? That's your mouth. Um, and what? basically, I just go around with scissors and, and, and cut the ribbons off stuff. Because mm. I'm a celebrity, right? But only as a voice. So no one knows what I look like. They just know my voice. So I, if I say something, they know it's me. You see? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I could do more now because we have to wear masks and stuff like that oh you can get away with it oh it's been brilliant it's been brilliant because i've got a nondescript the rest of me 
the rest of me is nondescript, but my voice is w what, you know, what everyone knows. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting times. Because <laughs> no one watches me on YouTube, I've noticed. Um, some do. 50, 56 subscribers. I'm very proud of that, mm -hmm. honestly, every day of my life. It's really good. Even though it's me 56 times uh, in different accounts. I'm no. very happy. Yeah, I catfish myself. <laughs> what? You catfish? Myself, yeah. How can you catfish well, yourself? Well, you know when you've got multiple personalities? And you don't know that you have it. Um, <laughs> it's it's this thing where you keep looking at your phone every day and you're obviously talking to yourself. I don't have any friends. I don't even have a phone that works. It's one of those <laughs> model phones that you get uh, that they just display, you know, because uh, they don't want the real ones to be stolen. They don't work. They're just a plastic thing with a sticker on the front, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Many conversations with myself every day. But how would you... It's like memento, only worse. Yeah, because one narrative. of your personalities would have to be like... I want to set up a con. Here's my profile. And then when you switch to your normal personality, you're like, oh, look, I got a friend request. Exactly. That's what it's like. <laughs> I'm not even on Facebook. That's the thing that's more alarming. You see, I'm not even on social media, but one of me, you know of. one of my social uh, media uh, personalities is obviously on it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> so uh, it's one of these very confusing days. But this is how I get through life. You see, uh, all these conditions, being mm. a celebrity is a condition, obviously, and uh, being only famous for being a voice is a condition. You can never disappoint people by having a body if you're a oh, celebrity voice. It? If you're a famous voice actor, <laughs> no one wants what to see you or your body. They don't want to see that. You know, like if you're a famous celebrity that does uh, Goku's voice in Dragon Ball, mm. or Naruto's voice, or something like this. Or The, uh, Simpsons. Iconic, or the Simpsons. Yeah. No one wants to see the, the person. No one wants to see that. They yeah. just want to see the voice say this, or hear the say voice. That. You can't really see a voice, can you? No. <laughs> Unless it's transcribed. And then what's the point of that? That would be a, the worst job ever. I'm a celebrity just transcribed voice. I'm just words on a page is what I am. This is where you... <laughs> That's completely pointless. Have you noticed that this is the... Uh, you know, this is the reverse evolution of celebrity because, you know, it used to be that authors were really famous for literally just words on paper. Right? Mm, yeah. You never knew what they looked like. Mm. You never really it cared. It didn't matter. You didn't have photographs back then. Charles Dickens was a drawing. He could have been anything. <laughs> he was an abstraction of himself. He was a carrot with a nose and a beard. Yeah. You, know, you wouldn't like, know him if you walked past him. Well, that's the point. Mm. He was just words. You see? <laughs> and when he said, like, hey, dude. I'm actually Charlie Dickens, and he brought out his FBI little... Because every author has one of these. They have these little FBI wallets, you know, with their identification and their author badge that they have to have. Don't think the FBI existed back then. No, it didn't back then, but that's because they were authors. See, if you were an author, no one would know you're an author. So if you were, say, Charles Dickens researching a role for one of his characters, or he wanted to see the orphanage that he based on... Uh, Christmas Carol or something like this, you know, Tiny Tim. He actually met Tiny Tim. Mm. Yeah, Tiny Tim, in reality, was an insect. <clears throat> and most authors are crazy, by the way. They're mad. So they live at home and they see an insect and they go, oh, he's a little orphan boy with a poorly leg. That, that fly walking around, uh, limping because one of his legs is broken. He's uh, Tiny Tim, you see, because that's the origins of Tiny Tim. But anyway, they have to go to these places. a lot like a um, crime scene investigation. You know, when you're an author back in the day, you're trying to research something uh, and you have to go there. And all the local authorities, mostly kind of a prestigious royal guard or something like this, police or whatever, back in those days, uh, would say, well, you have to provide, I don't know that you're Charles Dickens, never seen him. I've only seen a picture of him. 
that's drawn badly. So he has to prove that he is, you see. And, and every author had this FBI wallet. And they'd be like, hey, Dickens, Charles, yeah. And they flip it out and it's got this badge that says, hey, I'm an author. And they're a registered legitimate author, you see. Okay. So it's basically where the FBI got the idea to have that identification from. It's the same thing. From fiction writers. Yeah. From novelists <laughs> back in the day, you know. Um, it's like Shakespeare. It's not his real name. Shakespeare what? wasn't his real name. No, no, no. His name was William, but it was William Smith. And in his classroom, there was loads of William Smiths. Sure. And so the teacher one day said, oh, there's enough Williams here to shake a spear at. Because obviously that was a thing you said back then. Mm -hmm. We didn't have guns. We had spears. Mm -hmm. And that's where it coined a phrase, William Shakespeare. Mm. His real name is William Smith. Mm. Yeah. Bill, he likes to be called. I recently read a uh, These fictionalized are lies. story about Shakespeare's kid. Well, based on... No one cares about that, because that's truth. actually a book you're talking about. It is a book. You see, this is the thing I'm trying to say. So, way back when that was where we were, entertainment was really dull. Entertainment was either drawings on a cave, right, or written word yeah. on stones at one point, and tablets, and uh, any other precursor iPads. But then it became, you know, film, and you saw people, and everyone was like, oh my God, that's actually a celebrity right there, because I recognize them from the mm. big screen. You know, everyone's like, they're so much smaller in real life, probably because they're not projected on a 20 foot screen. But yeah, celebrities are a real thing now. Yeah. So no one cares about written words. Anymore. Yeah, they do. No, they don't. Yeah, they do. No, they don't. Libraries still at, exist. Just look at all the controversy J.K. Rowling's face. What? No one cares about her. They well, just care about Harry Potter. Well, they care because people still read Harry Potter. No. No. Yeah. No, they they don't. They read the imaginings of Daniel Ratcliffe and uh, the rest of them. Yeah, and she's she's irrelevant now. Plus, she's controversial because mm. of things she said. You know, mm. as an author <laughs> in books. Yeah, I just think it's really fascinating because obviously, when you move forwards into real celebrity, you know, uh, which we're currently in, uh, voice actors have a rough time of it because they're only really known if they apply the character voices you yeah see, that they play different in japan japan does it right because everyone How is so? because they celebrate the the voice actors mm. here it's kind of like you go to conventions see three people that look like a dodgy uncle or a weirdo aunt and they're actually voice actors they're always the ones and you're like basically in line at a comic con or whatever and this guy's the actor that plays the u.s version of say i don't know ultraman or something and he's there and he's you don't care you don't care until he speaks and that's when you care you see unless you listen to the original and then you don't even know who they are well the point is in japan they celebrate them yeah in japan you go to akihabara and they'll have this huge expo and there'll be a meet and greet and they treat the yeah, voice and actors autographs kind and everything. Of like, well they treat the actors like idols mm. so you get to know them and then they do the impressions and it's a whole wholesome kind of thing right whereas in the usa it's just like they're not relevant until they speak yeah you see in their character voice i mean it's different with the simpsons the simpsons is different because a lot of them are famous established actors behind the voices right yeah i was thinking that's the closest because there's no translation well there's, that's the original there's probably readups around the world of sure. the simpsons yeah i'd imagine i'd love to see the uh german one for example yeah, yeah it'd be yeah, really yeah. aggressive um, I know for a fact there's a Spanish one because mm. I've heard it in America on the Spanish channel. Yeah, 
and it made me die laughing for 500 years. Well, yes, one thing definitely different. One thing I wanted to say about the Spanish Simpsons, right, is there's actually a character in the Simpsons who's actually a bumblebee and he's actually Latino and he speaks in Spanish. Really? Right? It's a Mexican character, yeah. Oh. Like when it was pseudo, you know, who okay cares about to- PC, <laughs> you know, like Apu days and stuff like this. Mm. But yeah, there was, there was always a reoccurring sort of tiny role yeah. Mexican character. And I always wondered if the Mexican-Spanish translation, should that character be an American? Yeah, and right. And speak in English and then follow the... Cause wouldn't you want to do that? Like yeah, regionally yeah, yeah. just change the construct of it all, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like here how you have something like a Japanese anime show will have one character that's Western speaking very bad Japanese in it. Yep. When you flip that for the UK dubbing or the, the English dub. Yeah. So everyone's speaking in like perfect English except, except this for this one, one guy that's who's like broken, a foreigner. Broken yeah. Japanese voice. Yeah. yeah. See? It's just a thought. Yeah. But uh, obviously... They don't think about that. Well, I've said this before, but I I just think the business of UK dubs and especially sort of English dubs, you shouldn't say UK, very few come from the UK. Mm. A lot of this stuff's done in the US or Canada. But I think the issue we all have is that we view animations as kid stuff. It's all for kids. It's like Disney back in the day when we were young, it was Bugs Bunny, Warner Brothers and all this stuff, Looney Tunes and that. They were all kid shows. They were just to occupy the kids. Mm-hmm. Anime to me has never been that. Even like the family stuff like Tataro, to me it belongs in the same sort of argument or vein of thought as something like Watership Down, mm. which if you said was just a kid show, it's it <laughs> a lot of us. Because our parents used to do this thing where they'd throw us in a TV room and just put on cartoons, right? Yeah, Warship yeah. Down was the one that was the one uh for us growing up it was the 60s 70s version and basically destroys your soul it's yep. super crushing yeah as a narrative very dark freaky scary a lot of intensity to it then the new one on netflix because it's cg doesn't really have the same sting as the old one mm. in my opinion the book is obviously uh, the book is brutal heavy. but <laughs> no one reads those anymore literally uh, as well it's quite a we big listen book. to books now don't we they're taught to us by voice actors yeah. again you uh you <laughs> evolve that that novelty mm-hmm. of celebrity but when i was um growing up i just think you kind of lose a bit when you say that all of these sort of animations and stuff are directly for kids especially from japan i always try and say this to people because i don't really understand it culturally japan has tv networks that have very limited funding I mean, mm-hmm. com- comparatively, it's almost embarrassing. <laughs> like an episode of Doctor Who costs more than the entire TV year budget of Japan, probably, yeah. you know. Um, even worse is when you have like 24 comes out, like Kiefer Sutherland's brilliant 24 series. Mm-hmm. One episode of that was probably the equivalent of like a blockbuster movie in the, in the 90s, like about 20, 30 million an and it's episode. it's still going up. I mean, well, like uh, Lord of the Rings. Basically, when you get to Game of Thrones, it's like 100 million a, a season. You mm-hmm. know, like that's the evolution of our TV. There's nothing that can compete with that in the rest of the world. I mean, Korea is really um, incredible because they kind of don't have a massive budget, but what they can do with little is insane. Like you get some really elaborate, almost like they're fearless in the fact that they're not scared to just go full on crazy with their ideas, which I think is an amazing thing. If, you, if you're if you a film guy, one of the biggest problems you have sat down having a film discussion, writing a script this day and age is that you think budget. 
-hmm. like i'm never going to be able to afford big so i have to crunch it down and then career doesn't seem to matter they'll find a way to pull it off which i think is incredible out there um narrative wise they're still quite naive when you get to japan though it's so underfunded that you need sort of to have that kind of incredible talent of narrative and story construction how to do that without limitation is animation yeah so a lot of the animated shows in japan are the equivalent of westworld or better call soul or 24 or whatever to the japanese audience they are the main staples of television which is why they're doing so much business around the world because these are considered the high end tv imports Mm -hmm. of japan you know every so often you'll get a a pretty famous tv series or something but it it doesn't have the same punch if you think of attack on titan Mm -hmm. you're not talking about something that's basically equivalent of looney tunes no or even watership down or something that you just throw at a kid you're thinking 24 it's it's basically the kind of equivalent in 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 their tv schedule of that kind of blockbuster tv show people don't get that here it might be targeted at young audiences or kind of teenage uh post-teenage students or mm-hmm. whatever but it's literally hard-hitting balls to the wall yeah violence gore and and all kinds of stuff it's the same argument with video games a lot of people don't understand this argument too video games aren't all for kids we all know that at a certain level especially after gta and stuff but it's kind of like the evolution of that is basically what you can do unless that's more immersive than doing it in film. If you pulled off, say, Cyberpunk, the video game, yeah. or The Witcher 3 or something like this and turn it into a TV series, I know they have Netflix as The Witcher series, mm-hmm. but it's not as funded. You can't, you can't do what you can do in a video game. A video game is basically having the freedom of a novel yes, and the time of a novel and building a world with absolutely any laws you want to build on it you know Mm. and then it's about creating a technology that can make that happen that's what it's about now it's basically blockbuster filmmaking essentially and so a lot of people don't understand that these things aren't just a clear blanket you can clearly see if this thing is meant for a kid it looks like pokemon or doraemon or something like this Mm -hmm. they're the kid shows and you can watch them as adult and just be a bit like Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a it's, silly it's simple, thing. right? Yeah. Dragon Ball, probably the end tier of that, where it's really early teens. I'd put One Piece in that section. Yeah. But then you go beyond that, and it's something a lot more intense, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And so I just feel like there's a lot of prejudice in these areas. If you think about video games, especially some of them are totally adult. There's no way a kid should be playing it. Yeah. In any sense, you know? But, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, that's just my view on Mario Kart. <laughs> well you know <laughs> it's not a good lesson if you're trying to teach a kid how to drive like a you know you're 15 trying to pass your theory test mario kart is bad for you to play it's very bad because you're waiting for the question you're waiting for the question on the driving test the theory test where you're like i just i you know when i go across uh the boxes with a big question mark on it i i hope that i get a mushroom and 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 you'll fail your driving test because it doesn't it's not applicable in real life you see that's why you shouldn't let kids play stuff like that because it pollutes their ideas and reality yeah you know you should you you're much better off letting them play call of duty what to prepare them yeah as uh it's 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 real life isn't it for future conscription well it's 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 real life isn't it i mean if you're the average american 
uh, nowadays. You have to walk around with guns in your, oh. you know. It's, uh, it's wild <laughs> streets out there, man. You know, that that's uh. the next Call of Duty they're going to do is uh, Call of Duty Everyday America. Oh. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a war zone. Yeah. Um, Too close to home, I think. Well, it's not close. <laughs> it's not close to my home. Pun not intended. No, like, you, you know, Call of Duty sets you up for a lot of things in life. Uh, getting angry at people online. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Kids shouldn't be playing mindless stuff like uh, Breath of the Wild, which is a fantastic, phenomenal game that all kids should play. It's actually a reverse of what I'm saying. Folks should be playing Mario Kart to pass their driving test. No, what? Yeah, no, no. It's a, it's a simulation <laughs> game. I'm not good at any driving games. This is why you've been banned from all vehicles forever. (laughs) I just break them. You don't know which side of the road you're on. You don't know how to turn. I like to press all the buttons at the same time. You accelerate into corners. I do. Which is, you know, there's many F1 drivers that'll tell you that's not (laughs) a good idea. Um, you, You didn't do well at physics, did you? I didn't like physics. So did you know that Will Smith slapped Chris Rock in the face at the Oscars? Were you aware of that? Yes, when it was happening because of Twitter. Right, so that's all we're going to say about that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, because I've got nothing to add to it. It happened. It is what it is. People it are going to talk about it for months. I don't care. Helped with the ratings? I mean, the whole thing as an event, um, I feel like you can summarize the whole thing by what Denzel Washington's reaction was in the corner. He just looked utterly shell shocked, miserable, appalled, kind of embarrassed. and Yeah. I think that's how we should feel about it. We shouldn't be goading it. Like the whole thing is, it's kind of like when you're in a position to be at the Academy Awards, it's the highest privilege and prestigious event for anyone who's in the film industry, right? Whether you like it, whether you agree with the politics, it is what it is. And it's turned into almost a youth club now. Mm. Like where (laughs) insults are being thrown out. and Like to me, it's like, you know when you had school assemblies, high school assemblies, and yeah. then this dude goes on because they're going to give him an award for like whatever, like prefects or whatever. Yeah. In schools in England, we have prefects, which are like basically the stormtroopers of school. No. Get a little badge, get given a, uh, you know, a, a, a stick to beat kids up with. Um, you're basically the, uh, the yeah, you're the, the secret police of your school. and uh, Yeah, you have the authority. Yeah, and your badges all, all, sorry, the badges that they give you, they actually have like, uh, you know, like a video on them. It's basically, you're basically a school cop. That's what you you're are. You're basically a school Bye. You're an ARC officer. You're an <laughs> undercover cop uh, that everyone knows about, uh, which is really bad management. You're there a not-so-secret you agent. You, you, it's, it's a precursor to police. It really is. And so um, you'll have those assemblies, and everyone's getting their awards or whatever, you know, like, oh, he's just won an award for writing a short story or, you know, whatever it is. And then it's the kid at the front that heckles, right? Oh, you suck, man. Like, And that's always going to be in British school. You suck. You really? don't deserve Yeah, of course. We have no, you know. No, and then the head teacher's like scowling. To... Like, <laughs> trying to make their head explode with psychic powers. You suck. You sold out, man. You know, all of this kind of. You've seen it. It's all just happens. No. Every Harry Potter film, uh, you see stuff like that. Were you a prefect? I was a prefect. Mm. Only I changed mine, spelling, to perfect. It's only a couple it's of adjustments. Wrong. No, I changed it. 
I, I mixed all of the words around. So I had a perfect badge. I was perfect. I wasn't a prefix. Okay. I wasn't a prefixture either. That's uh, something totally different. But I, I was definitely one. I didn't do my job well. As a narc. No, I, I kind of treated it more like an opportunity to be in the Godfather, you know, like <laughs> where I'd walk into the classrooms and I'd be like, right, you will all get detention unless unless you do me a favor, right? And then by the end of the year, you know, like I was called Don, you know, it was pretty awesome. Got loads of free stuff, uh, just walked into the room, everyone behaved themselves, uh, you know. You, you had a lot of issues, like you had to sort out divorces. What? And, you know, make people disappear. Um, uh, you know, which is easy if you're a magician. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Basically, you have to uh, do Gestapo. conflict resolution by any means well, necessary. <laughs> you had this sit when when we were at school, uh, Studley High. Big shout out. Yeah, because you could only go there if you were Studley. You see, it's the best looking folks uh, would go there. Really? No, it's the absolute opposite. Um, Ironic then. I, I was. Uh, I was there by accident. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, now prefects back in those days, you had like, you know, you basically had to look after the kids at lunch hour and stuff like this, make sure they weren't going mental, tell them all to sit in the chairs, just check on everyone. Yeah. It was weird. I kind of, I think the real pressure lies with the head boys. You have a head boy and a head girl, and they're basically class presidents, I guess. It's something similar without the election. The teachers decide who is. Yeah. prefects and then that's it mm. and how this correlates is i was also a famous novelist so i had two badges got very confused <laughs> okay, you so, got your fbi badge well, you and your know, perfect badge <laughs> when you think about how amazing victorian england would have been and i missed it no by a couple of hundred years it was terrible no it was amazing you had plagues <laughs> i mean we have this rubbish coronavirus we have plagues now <laughs> no it's not the same. It's not it's the same. It's not the same. People aren't wheeled out of their houses, coughing blood on the street. There was good times, happy times. Rats, Bring out your dead. Rats giving you play. Good times in London. Oh that, was. that was when we had a lot of tourism no. in London. Yeah. It was, oh, it was no. good for the economy, the plague, no. and the central <laughs> fire of London. And people came. They came to see the disaster of it all. They, they were curious. You know, I mean, you could say, that the plague spread like wildfire across Europe. I mean, that's how famous it, you know, those times were. Victorian times are good, right? Mm. Now, back in those days, if you were a famous novelist, like Charles Dickens, I mean, you, you were basically a police officer because, you know, police back in that, they were kind of corrupt, you know? Uh, if you were rich, you could pay them off. I mean, we think police are corrupt now. They, it was nothing back in those days. They didn't have trials. They just hang you, you know. Like it was, <laughs> it was kind of like you know, a bit like Judge Dredd, only without any guns or anything. It was kind of lame. But uh, the famous novelists of those eras were the smartest. So if you were like writing a book, you'd be prolific. Like Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. Right? Yeah, she just wrote it. She wrote Frankenstein everywhere she went. She just wrote the name Frankenstein. No. <laughs> That's all she did. But she was actually, she had to have certain scientific knowledge writing a book like that. Yeah. You know? And so she was obviously profound academic. Academics aren't profound anymore. Not comparatively. Because at this time, it was like a time of mass discovery. And, and you know, there's a renaissance for all of these things. Yeah. And this is where I say, like, science and, and art, they kind of intermingle. 
a lot of scientific ideas are passed as fiction and vice versa. And then you have like really creative artists like Leonardo da Vinci, which is obviously before Victorian England. Um, that was a wee bit before. Mm. He would invent stuff too. Yep. So there was never a separation between science and art and academics and stuff like this. So if you're a novelist, you were probably the most suited to forensic science. Because mm. if you'd researched that, the cops would probably knock on your door and say, hey, something weird's happened. Can you tell <laughs> us what it is? You know, and there would be sought as advisors. And that's actually legitimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, even, you know? even with Charles Dickens, I mean, he actually created a lot of social change because of his knowledge and what was happening in the sort of lower classes. Sure, sure. And there was a lot of scientific knowledge behind stuff, mm. you know, um, it's in, you you learn all of this by playing Assassin's Creed. No, um, it's all in there. Uh, it's very uh, factual and accurate. Um. That's uh, the one based in London. That name eludes me. I think it, it's uh, Syndicate or something. You roll a clock forwards, and obviously it's done down now. Mm. You know, you're not going to go to David Williams, famous children novelist or young teen novelist, and ask him for any advice. I don't mm. think. So what happened was with the invention of the photograph. Right, yeah. they lost their prestige as, you know, CIA agents and <laughs> FBI, FBI and forensic scientists. They lost all of that overnight, so the badges weren't worth a lot, you know, because mm. everyone knew what they looked like. You see, so there is an argument uh, against knowing what someone looks like as a celebrity. You know, if we went back to the times of kind of being a celebrity as a voice or just as words on a page, you could argue that our celebrities would get a lot smarter. Most novelists now wouldn't be asked for anything, would they? No. If you think about Stephen King, you're not going to say, hey, Stephen King, can you come What's here? What's your and, opinion on... Yeah, can you tell me what you reckon about this... Uh, social economics. The, the chemistry of this crime scene. The chemistry of this crime Yeah, the chemistry scene. of it. Can you tell me about that? I mean, our police have got more sophisticated. A lot of them are novelists too in their spare time. People don't well, understand fictional, that. fictional characters are doing that now, like being... Uh, what you mean like Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> yeah. He's a Victorian Ad specialist. Well, he's based, he was based police. on Charles Dickens, he was. Sherlock Holmes. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The character Sherlock Holmes is basically Charles Dickens. In that period of time, Charles Dickens <laughs> was Sherlock Holmes. You know, he had an opium addiction. Saw flies, thought they were tiny Tim. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. It's all there. I think I've just destroyed most British <laughs> culture and literature. Um, yeah, no, uh, don't listen to any of this. It's not facts. But I just think it would be a really fun show. You know how we're always doing all of these kind of nods to stuff and, you know, going back in the old days. Sherlock Holmes has been done 300 times recently, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it would be a really interesting show if you actually had that kind of construct of the old novelist back in the day who had his little FBI badge to say that he was a novelist fighting crime so i i hope that someone does that he doesn't write crime novels he writes mostly Novelist crime fighters. romance and dramas you know yeah. um, but you know he's secretly a crime fighter because he's yeah. very scientific well just talking about like how art and science sort of like interject it reminds me of this um the the invention of like uh forensic science and basically it was this lady who created like doll houses but then she started cr recreating crime scenes through dollhouses. I would I would argue she was the murderer. <laughs> I had this conversation with your little brother recently, um, the fact that he's a neuroscientist. I don't think there's any disconnect between art and science. Mm. I think both intermingle and, and, and sort of give concept to each other. 
I think back in the day, classically, an artist was a scientist. I don't think there was any distinction. I think you would have always had a cross-academic... Like, if you think about this, okay. So when Tolkien was a student in Oxford, yeah, right? University, that is. Not just a student in, the, in Oxford, in which city. is a boring <laughs> film. You know, I'm a student in Oxford. I don't go there. I'm just in Oxford as a student, right? Now, he was actually at the university. university. And if you have legacy students who were back in a day when academics was really about discovering and new stuff, mm-hmm. we've kind of had this global effort to kind of make that harder and harder and harder as the years go past. But he would have had an active understanding of multiple academic fields, fields yeah, especially yeah, yeah. in his research. And you can see it by the way it's written. You you don't get books written like Tolkien today. Mm. The language is too sophisticated, the depth and all of this stuff, the world building and everything like that. It's not like that today. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't read a play right now that's like Shakespeare. You know, the language, the iconic language of Shakespeare, it can only be done badly as a really bad interpretation now. You know, like a kind of fake Shakespeare, if you Fakespeare. will. Fake Shakespeare. <laughs> which is what I call it. Um, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> fake spear which is kind of like the game of thronesy type of you know yeah yeah i see what you're spear. saying yeah what i like to think is you know you go back in the day where artists it for example in martial arts i mean no one talks about this at all in the west but if you were um a chinese sifu and your your art was say in chinese wushu or whatever you were not only the neighborhood doctor yeah you were the neighborhood teacher you were mm. the neighborhood sort of problem solver you were a forensic scientist you kind of had an academic who's basically an academic because of his art in that neighborhood mm-hmm. and everyone goes to him for all the advice that they need it, that that's what it once was yeah you know you, you hear stories about the shaolin monk that comes down from the temple and he's because of his enlightenment or whatever he's more educated than anyone around him so everyone listens to the stories and then it becomes like kind of buddhism or whatever you know it mm-hmm. becomes that over time the artist is always the storyteller and the storyteller is always the thing that inspires the science or the technology or the development and sometimes it's reversed sometimes a scientific discovery will mm-hmm. then inspire the artist yeah absolutely. But they're, they're, they're one and the same the, the thing is that it's blurring now it's blurring now because of this concept of celebrity mm. where a celebrity isn't essentially an artist a celebrity yeah. is famous for whatever reason um i was recently watching mr beast who is the most prolific youtuber of our current time Um, and mr beast is one of these kids that's out there who's got a very youtube um research developed kind of academic approach to what he does whereas quick cut filming Mm -hmm. it's always exciting stuff that he puts out he's doing what all your fantasy was uh as a kid like big monopoly game or let's reenact the squid game stuff or or whatever it is now here's the thing okay you can be a youtube artist you can be he's proof of that Mm. there was freddie wong before him yeah there's proof of people actually putting art out on youtube and it's incredible sometimes it's better than what hollywood can do Mm mm-hmm you had this Mortal Kombat sort of reboot attempt on YouTube as a YouTube exclusive, and it blew up. It became huge. Cobra Kai started on YouTube. Mm. 
Yeah, and uh, District 9, the guy who created yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, did like a, a lot clip. of CGI yeah. stuff. Um, the point is about Mr. Beast is it's basically Viva La Bam. I've talked about Viva La Bam in the past. Mm. He's a jackass, right? Viva La Bam is everything Mr. Beast is doing, but he's doing the YouTube generation version of it, essentially. Yeah. And he's doing it to more kind of video game inspired narratives mm. like MMO stuff like Fortnite. But the thing is, if you ask Mr. Beast anything about cinematography, he hasn't got a clue what you're talking about. If you talk about film, structure, and school, and stuff like that, no idea what you're talking about. Right. So when you have this generation of Twitch people and stuff like this, I always think their mechanic of creativity is based on the games they play, mm -hmm. the ideas they have through the games they play, and it's very seldom the kind of entertainment factor that can even rival the big guns, even though in their own circle on YouTube, it's doing stuff that the world hasn't seen before. Therefore, they're extraordinarily wealthy people when, sure. when they're top of the game. Yeah, yeah. I will say that he is almost like the untouched Bam Margera. Bam Margera put Viva La Bam has become almost bitter since losing his best friend Ryan Dunn and just spiraling out of control and stuff. There's a lot of bitterness in him, which is really sad to see because he used to be just crazy fun. But you can also see there's a there's a need for attention in what he does. Whereas with Mr. Beast, it's kind of like this pure giving back, mm. love, and explosive creativity, which I 100% recommend anyone who's never heard of the guy to watch any of his clips. Really fascinating stuff. Okay. The only issue I've got is YouTube is basically breeding a lot of carbon copied versions of the same thing. Quick cuts, clever captioning, all of this stuff. Yeah, the trends. Right. Now, that's where you can suddenly start diminishing what's special about that stuff. Because if everything looks the same, sure. you, there's no point watching. You can't differentiate this guy's, this guy's, this guy's, this guy's. And it's all the thumbnails they use and all this stuff. Which is why I like to always approach stuff like it's cinematic. Mm -hmm. That's what an artist does. You see, the thing what people don't understand about art, it has to have an academics to it. Like, I think most academics in the field of science spend all of their career trying to find out what's special about them, what separates them from the crowd, mm. what discovery, what theory, what something. I'm desperate to have it. So I have my own definition in this incredible ocean yeah. of everyone else is doing what I'm doing, yeah. right? And it could be for any field. It, it it could be for anything. It could be for like chemistry, pharmaceuticals. It could be literally neuroscience, right? But you always need the thing that defines you. Now, if you're an artist, it's exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And you go through exactly the same hell. You go through that whole, oh, What's I'm just, my thing? Yeah, I'm just looking like everyone else is looking and I'm borrowing this from them and stuff like this. That's not the point. What's my, not discovery, but what's my original thought? Well, the, the idea for me is always that every single voice on this planet has their own sound. It's not, we're not identical. We, we always talk about thumbprints and stuff and forensic criminology you know, mm. and dna and stuff like this but your voice internal voice is always unique right and i think the problem with art now is that we're just seeing the celebrity wing of it mm. we're not necessarily seeing the creative wing of it and video games and things like that really prove how technology science and art all play off together oh yeah and if you think about the discoveries in one video game, when you just think about they have to rebuild the Unreal Engine or something like this just because they can now do it on the console or whatever, mm -hmm. 
this is why technology moves fast mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and why science moves fast because it's always challenging itself. And when you think about stuff like YouTube, if you get stagnant and everyone's doing the same thing, it's not going to travel. That's going to be the end game for it. Because and until the next person comes out with, oh, no, I've got a better way of doing it. And then, you know, that's how it can propagate. Yeah. But you, you need certain academics behind your construct. For me, just seeing the whole Will Smith smack at the Oscars, I think it's a good example of where we've lost true art in favor of celebrity. Because mm. the whole thing... It's so, like the, the thing that's really bittersweet about that whole ordeal with that was that, you know, like he won the Oscar at the end of the night, which is a huge celebratory thing. Yeah. Because a lot of us have been waiting for Will Smith to clear up the Oscars for years, years. You know, he does deserve it, deserves it for a lot of stuff he's done. Muhammad Ali, Seven Pounds, stuff like this. Mm-hmm. But to have it completely destroyed by someone he did earlier. Yeah, the event, that event overshadowed the other achievements that's the problem because if you're an actual and i sincerely mean this if you're actually an artist not a celebrity you would never do that Mm. for a fact you would never go to an awards evening like that (laughs) you just wouldn't yeah because it's all you know internal self-gratification is the art yeah you don't need anyone else to pat you on the back i'll tell you the the secret behind all this if you're a true academic scientist or a true artist you're never happy you're never happy so you never feel a reward Mm. everyone feels the reward for you if you're working with a team they feel it yeah you never feel it it's a very lonely and sad place because you're constantly only seeing the stuff you could have done Mm. or what you need to do that's better than that because you're trying to figure out the theory and and the theory once it's figured out that's when you get it that's when you're you're happy right when you say theory, would it... I'll give you an example. Albert Einstein comes up with E equals MC squared. Yes. Right? Theory of relativity. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it is that. It just looks like an E, an MC, <laughs> and a square. I thought he was talking about like some kind of new hip-hop act down the road. E equals MC squared. You know, like I thought it was like a an Austrian, you know, gangster rap group that he brought to America with him. But once he got to that point and he got that out there and everyone said, yeah, no, this works. This is, you know, legit. He had nothing to live for after that. It went completely mad. (laughs) He lost his mind and went completely nuts, right? Wasn't he a bit nuts before that? Who knows? We don't know him. I I won't speak bad about old (laughs) scientists that I didn't know. But um, I'm just saying, like, that's his purpose. Once you've found your purpose, it doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. Stephen in a way, Hawkins. you've you've found that life philosophy or that Stephen Hawkins is the same. You know, Bill Gates, all of these huge entrepreneurs, they did one thing and that one thing carried That's their them. career. That's all they need. Yeah. They don't need to keep doing it. Mm. The, the only people who are crazy enough to keep doing it is Elon Musk. <laughs> you know? But that's yeah. for the love of the game. Probably because he hasn't found... Elon Musk has all helped engineer stuff that other people were kind of doing, but not as efficiently as he could do it. So I'm not sure if Elon Musk has found his thing. A lot of the stuff he's been doing has been working on stuff with a team, yeah. you know, rather than my idea is to, you know, have this uh, candy floss that makes your head explode or so, you know, like he's got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. Exactly. So he's, <laughs> he's more of a contributing factor than he is a, a self deliverer of some kind of theorem or great, discovery or whatever but along the way he's part of a team that's led to many so i think a lot of scientists are probably more like that Mm. but i I think if you were talking pure form what is an artist and why we've lost the way with all the academics and stuff it really is as much as a goofy thing as is that i said about a novelist having like a secret badge Badge. that you could enter into crime scenes it's not far from the truth Mm. 
because you know, there's a weight and well, an authority. We talked briefly about Sherlock Holmes. That's yeah. exactly the character. Yeah. The character is this completely mad, opium-addicted lunatic that just so happens to be profoundly genius at solving crimes, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. as an investigation, the guy's got no real job. <laughs> no, he's, he's a loser. <laughs> he's in, a bum. In fact, he's entitled <laughs> yeah. because he's living off his family's money. Exactly. Like, the dude is a total loser, right? <laughs> um, he's like the Donald Trump of crime fighting, essentially. You know, like, you could argue. Donald Trump did work, so he had a, he had a job. <laughs> Even if it was a legacy position, it was a job. Mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes didn't have one, you know, and... You think about that. To me, that's the portrayal of what an artist is. Mm. If they're not a little bit mad and a little bit crazy, you're not propelling stuff into the future thought, then they're not an artist. And I will say, and this is, I, I usually am pretty hostile to YouTube, but Mr. Beast is an artist, without a doubt, because the stuff he does is so selfless. You know, it, it, it's all goofy and fun and silly. It's almost like if you let your crazy teenage son just have all the money in the world as long as their heart is pure they do what is doing and he's really innocent that way but the problem is and this is what i'm going to say just with my uh my dad hat on for a second the issue he has is that he wants everything then to conform to his vision essentially because he did it this way he's trying to teach everyone else how he did it which is incredibly giving but then you get this kind of everyone's a copycat Mm. synergy and that's where ego starts coming in you see like you you kind of make everyone see that it's one way of doing it that gets success and therefore you kill the industry you've always got to say this is how i did it but i think you should do it in a totally different way rather than just giving people a code because it doesn't work in art everyone wants something different for example this is the craziest thing about it he can do something so elaborate like the squid game live version of it and then the next minute you've got a puppy chasing a freaking iguana around a house right and it's got 20 (laughs) times more views than his stuff and yet the puppy clip didn't cost a penny and his clip cost you know yeah about 30 million to pull off so that's what i'm trying to say art is spectator directed right same as science so weirdly this came from being slapped in the face in the oscars Full circle to explaining you the uh, dependency that we should all feel about uh, novelists being forensic scientists. And we ended up linking science and art together. So that's good. And the biggest uh, test for both art and science is longevity, the test of time. Are we going to be talking about it? Is it still going to be relevant in like 10 well, years, also, 100 years? It's also the reality of the the, the hit that you have. Mm. For example, a lot of stuff is forgotten very quickly. I think One thing that absolutely blows my mind is Michael Jackson. Is almost a conversation no one's having. Uh. When he was around for a good 30 years, maybe longer, when he was a kid in Jackson 5, this dude was Beatles huge. This guy was like the guy in so many pop culture ways and stuff like this now it's almost like you don't know him a lot of kids will never know this guy at all and and yeah there's controversy in that conversation that we don't have all the answers for but it's like that guy you would expect to be immortal yeah like totally famous forever in a day right but no gone disappeared almost you know you can still see the relevancy yeah in music that's starting out the weekend for example massively influenced by him you can tell right but it's not like michael jordan michael jordan basketball 
never gonna die. You know, he's a brand Air Jordan, stuff like this. It's also what he did. Never gonna die. But if if you if you think about science, if you get something right in science, it's forever. Mm-hmm. You know, vaccinations, the big taboo, the conversation no one wants to have, that invention is gonna be forever. And that was considered a completely insane witch doctor idea. When it idea. first started, yeah. Exactly, a cuckoo crazy idea. Yeah. Picasso, we've all heard of that guy. Mm-hmm. Lunatic, bad dude, not a, not a nice guy. He as an artist will go on forever. Yep. That's where you establish your theory, you see. Mm-hmm. The theory goes on forever, as does the art, but the person disappears. Yeah. You know? That's kind of depressing. So to bring it back up, I watched WrestleMania. Okay. Like it's a two-day event or weekend. I was on my own watching that with the uh, couple of squirrels and a pigeon. That's because it was it started at one a.m. Yeah, here. Yeah, it's great. We were all gathering nuts watching. No, thank it. you. Uh, pigeon was just eating whatever was at our feet. Pigeons was... are asleep. No, no, no. no. At one well into it. Massive fans of uh, wrestling. Pigeons, huge, huge wrestling fans. Um, some of the biggest fans. Like if you ever go to a wrestling event, especially when it's an open air arena, you will always see a pigeon there. Like they're huge uh... fans. Okay, fair you enough. Know, on the build-up, you'll see pigeons around the streets. Pigeons are everywhere. Yeah, they'll be everywhere, especially for wrestling weekends. So this is the craziest thing. So the wrestling thing became, it used to be just a Sunday. It's now an entire weekend, starting on Friday right. all the way to Sunday, right? They did this during a pandemic, probably because they needed to keep eyes on it. Um, I've got to be honest, as a tradition, it gets super exhausting. It's really exhausting because for us in the UK, it starts at one o'clock in the morning, goes on till the wee hours. It, it's a tradition I've had. I, I kind of said that once The Undertaker's done, I'm done with it because I'm getting too old, to be honest. Mm. Uh, a lot of my childhood heroes are like retired, either dying, which is really sad to see, or retired, right? Yeah, right. The biggest sell for me this year was Stone Cold coming back. And honestly, um, That'll be talked about and trended all over the internet. Even if you're not a wrestling fan, you must have heard about Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's been in films, done reality TV, got one of the best podcasts ever at the beginning of it. He's stopped doing that now. But yeah, that was just incredible to see that dude back. Mm. I think (laughs) the whole match he had with Kevin Owens, he was a Canadian wrestler, ultimate heel, really awesome wrestler as well. Like super good. Just to see him coming back you kind of felt your heart in the sleeve a lot because he's a guy who hasn't wrestled for nearly 20 years he's also late 50s right can he do it is it gonna look awful because Bret Hart came back a while back and it was pretty terrible okay I'm not gonna lie because he had a stroke though like you know uh, he had to end his career on a real legitimate reason Stone Cold had a legitimate reason to end it but has healed since so He's got more in his tank than Bret Hart ever could have, you know. So, but it was a really good match. It was kind of precise. Speaking about Bret Hart, just to the wrestling fans, and this is where I left this to last. It was kind of a nod back to his No Holes Barred match with Bret, the one with Kevin. And I just want to say this is going to sound really weird, but thanks, Kevin Owens, for bringing Stone Cold back because no one else could do it. 19 years, everyone tried to get a match from him, Mm. no one could do it. Yeah. So it, uh, you know, it is what it is, man. Uh, it's a huge thing because if you're talking about icons, we're talking about science and art and and uh, all this stuff. Stone Cold is an icon, man. Yeah. Like in, in, the world in American, wrestling. like he is up there with the Michael Jordans and all this stuff. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Um, for pop culture and if you are even relevant in the nineties, 
with any of this stuff, you'd have heard of him. And he was probably on your talk show at some point, and he was probably putting you through a wall at some point. He was definitely <laughs> on SNL, for example, but the guy was an icon. And uh, to see him back and to see the fan reaction was amazing. It, it, it never gets old, man. Mm. And hopefully, you know, he can go back to... Uh, to life now and never be caught on again but if he is i think if he put a year i think you'd probably have classic stone cold the mm. guy's in insane shape well it depends on how much he's enjoying his retirement <laughs> i don't know man like if i was at his age once a year i'd pop back for a match yeah like the undertaker did for a while you know it's tough um, on the body though it's such a physical it doesn't have egg. to be he showed that it doesn't have to be everything they pulled off in the match they it was so secure and tight and locked down right you you, you gotta understand man like i'm a martial artist right mm -hmm. and when you're working in films wrestling is one of the most fascinating things to watch for someone who's trying to choreograph a fight sequence or mm -hmm. something because it's basically a stunt show yeah the whole thing's a stunt show it's physicality and it's it's high spots. It's all the marks. If you were working as a stuntman on, on action like scenes, it's the same thing. Yeah. You're doing the same thing, right? Only in wrestling, there's some. It's this kind of primeval Olympian kind of vibe to it, where it's all pyrotechnics and the crowds there and stuff like this. Now, we had Diamond Dallas Page here, you know, way early on in our podcast way days. Way back in episode so I've, nine, I've got an affinity and a, a a thing with wrestling. You know, I've met a lot of wrestlers, had a lot of friends who are wrestlers. Mm. Stone Cold is, if you watch the match, even if you're not a wrestling fan, you can go on YouTube, check the highlights out. You're going to see a 57-year-old guy who hasn't been in a ring for 20 years, who's this icon, who's got all of the weight of an icon. It's like asking Jordan to come back for a game, for an all-star game, yeah, right? right. You get Kevin Owens in that mix-up, right? Who's one of the best current wrestlers. He's never really stopped. He's, he's been in the Indies. He came out of that... It's, absolutely incredible in the ring his body shape is like an everyman you know mm. and so he the stuff he pulls off is ridiculous he's, he's really an incredible talent right now their match was so precise every move was calculated it was probably called on the spot i don't think they rehearsed it they do have rehearsals mm. right and just to see how coordinated it was nothing in the spots would have injured stone cold he's right. heavily protected yeah which is he's a perfectionist the dude is the michael jordan pro wrestling mm. to me i mean we talk about hogan and all of these guys in wrestling right stone cold and the undertaker are the two real icons it doesn't matter what you think about rick flair and all of these people in the past they're, they're the ones that kind of broke the mold of personality in wrestling if you're talking about technical skill yeah. If you're talking about breaking a match apart and what you can and can't do in a match. Mm. And, you know, he wrestled his last match against The Rock three years ago with a broken neck. Uh, his legs were gone. He could barely walk. And there's a whole documentary buildup of Stone Cold leading to his retirement match against The Rock. It was a hidden retirement. No one knew he'd retired until, you know, after. And he's so technical in what he can and can't do that it takes someone like Kevin Owens is the best, one of the best in the field now to go through that with him. And and they did it. You could tell it slowed down. You could tell it was a safe wrestling match. You could tell. You know, it's, it, if you compared it to something like the Pat McAfee stuff where everyone's doing shock spots and like trying to break each other's neck and stuff. And, you know, this was slow. This was a slow-paced match, very methodical. But that's why Stone Cold was famous mm. for being precise. Yeah. You know? works with the style 100 percent 
I think the iconic thing that he had that people don't really understand is something like Brock Lesnar does, and that is make a wrestling match look like a street fight. Like, mm-hmm. it looks like a real car crash. Yeah. It's not a pretty thing to watch. It's not full of spectacular flips and moonsaults <laughs> and stuff. It's literally, a you know, you're in a fight. Yeah. Man. And they pulled that off. And it was so amazing to see. I was in awe the whole time. It was surreal. It, it is literally like Jordan coming back for an all-star game. It, you never thought it would happen. And then it's happening. And you had a build-up for a month. And that's not a lot. You had one promo from Stone Cold. Dude, like, it was awesome. It brings the clock back. And, you know, I'm just saying this, like, anyone who's out there and wants to get involved in film and stuff and choreography and stunt guys and stuff, you can't just knock things like wrestling off and just laugh at it and be like, oh, you know, a bunch of guys in tights smacking each other. You can't be one track, essentially. You have to know so many things I'll, about I'll, so I'll many it, I'll subjects. put it this way. I'll put it this way. You can watch... All of the hierarchy kind of martial art films, there are Crouch and Tiger, stuff like this. The best stunt performers on this planet are WWE superstars. Mm. The best. I mean, we've got other wrestling factions, AEW. The best of the best is WWE, for sure. And that's from safety standpoint to what they're doing as far as pressure. They're the best, without a doubt. And I think as a spectacle, you know, it's exhausting. It's like a t- it's two days watching pure car crash stunts and stuff, you know. But um, I think it's worth a shout out uh, to to watch it if you if you get a chance. Anyone who just wants to see the highlights of Stone Cold, I think uh, you should. And for me, one of the highlights of the whole weekend was the Undertaker's speech. If you don't know a lot about pro wrestling, you know about The Undertaker again, an icon away from the image of wrestling. You'd have seen him at some point in your life on something. His speech at the end, kind of, uh, of his Hall Hall of Fame inductee speech was, it will change your life, man. It will change your life for many reasons. Mm. And it's kind of a weird thing. It's like, that they dubbed it straight away the next day as a TED Talk. It kind of was. Mm. And that was really original. Um, But there was a lot of, honest feedback from his career and also criticism and also uh inspirational advice and i think in this time we're in such a dark time around the world and stuff like this when you hear things like that are being said or you see these pockets of excitement that can still happen you know that everything's gonna be okay it's really gonna be okay i would like to say we've evolved too far forwards like if we're watching international events like the olympics now as a group of people televised then we are closer to being cool with each other right you know that's that's what i like to leave us on and also as now is going to be trend expect the golden globes to be like i don't know matt damon kicking tom cruise in the balls it's going to be a wrestling i think match. i think each each award is now going to out massacre the last yeah. one you know and also they should probably have pro wrestlers to do the uh, hosting mm, mm. you know yep wouldn't that be interesting if the rock host i think the rock and kevin hart did actually they did the mtv one it was amazing when they hosted yeah it. and a quick end shout out was mark Wahlberg did a great job promoting the the beginning intros of both days i was shocked to see him there it was super <laughs> weird but anyway it's cool man you should all watch it it's real fun and just to um if you're not interested in any of that just uh try and be a novelist because it opens a lot of doors that's what i'd say we'll be back in two weeks but it might be the last one that we have with 
win before she goes back. If I successfully board a flight. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, you're, or if you're halfway swimming the ocean. Who, Who knows? knows? But um, we will be back in two weeks this time for sure. Take care, everyone. Be safe. <laughs>